Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by ACA President Dr Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Many of you will be aware of ACE, the Australasian Institute for Chiropractic Education. This is a pathway for advanced postgraduate learning and set up by the ACA to allow for credentialing in various areas of specialty. One of those areas is neurorehabilitation. And today I'll be speaking with the new committee chair, Dr. Carlo Renato, about his role in this clinical practice group and a little bit more information about this particular area of interest. Now, just to give you some background on Carlo, he's been in practice for over 20 years and is actively engaged in ensuring chiropractors have a strong and credible presence in clinical neurorehabilitation. There you go, mouthful there, clinical neurorehabilitation. He is a clinic director of a multidiscipline practice based in Sydney and focuses on the more challenging cases, including dizziness, concussion, whiplash, migraines, and other neurological conditions. He's just submitted his PhD in vestibular neurorehabilitation and is the only chiropractor involved with studies in biomedical engineering from the University of New South Wales and Neuroscience Research Australia. He regularly, regularly travels Australia, Asia and Europe teaching his courses as well as presenting on the world stages to chiropractors and neuro-ontology specialists right across the space. Uh, hi, Carlo. Welcome to the ACA podcast. Good morning, Anthony. It's great to be here. Um, I love the opportunity to talk to you and, uh, and our members. And I obviously haven't had my one and only coffee for the day, so I've struggled to actually <laughs> say the word neurorehabilitation. But um, yes, I'm sure I will, we'll get through that. Uh, firstly, congratulations and, and thank you for taking up uh, the chair of uh, this clinical practice group. Of course, Francesca Buharja has done a great job for the last, I think it's five years in that role. So uh, we, I want to really acknowledge her for the great work that she's done um, so far at this point. Yeah, fantastic. Look, uh, actually, I was chair three years previously. Um, Fran took over whilst I uh, stepped back doing my PhD. Now the, uh, the positions are reversed. I've stepped back into the chair position whilst Fran um, is now uh, focusing her attention on completing her PhD. So it's great. Um, first, I want to acknowledge Fran. I think she's done a fantastic job uh, running the um, steering the ship over the last three years. Uh, and I wish her the best in completing her PhD. And someone who's just submitted mine, I I know of the uh, the difficulty and the time that's required to do so. So I wish her the best. And uh, uh, she's still part of our group. I, I ensured that uh, I held on to her because uh, her resources and knowledge in this area are very valuable. That's fantastic and great that you could step in for one another and, and certainly, the, yes, taking on a PhD is a, a massive undertaking. So well done to you and, uh, and good luck to Fran. So let's talk about neurorehabilitation. Now, most chiropractors, of course, will say that chiropractic is fundamentally about influencing the nervous system. What's different about a chiropractor who uses more of a neurorehab approach? That's a great question, one that I often get asked. One of the things... I like to dispel pretty quick when talking about this with other chiropractors is that 
chiropractic neurorehabilitation, I guess, is not a technique. It's not a set of patterns or an algorithm to treat someone, unlike other techniques. Um, so, you know, most people think, well, you know, I've got a problem with this side of my brain, so I must do something on the opposite side. It's certainly not as simple as that, and we'd never teach it nor advise people to practice that way. Um, so I guess neurorehabilitation, as I said, is not a technique. It's not a scripted method, um, but rather it's a skill set and, and a deeper knowledge of how the body and brain are connected uh, and how these networks uh, influence each other. And once you have that understanding, once you have that insight as to how the spine and the eyes are connected or, or uh, the vestibular system and the spine are connected, it really opens up a lot of opportunity to not only better evaluate and assess your patients for conditions that we often see, but also gives you opportunity that, uh, whereby you can apply different uh, modalities or rehabilitation applications in practice. You know, most chiropractors, I think, use a very spinal centric model, whether it be um, adjustments, whether it be soft tissue work or whatever it might be to influence the spine and the peripheral to help manage a lot of the musculoskeletal conditions that we see. And, and certainly there's a lot of validity in that. And I'm not for a moment saying that we should stop. Um, but we also think that by doing so, we're influencing the brain. And, and obviously it is. But the challenge is without the neurorehabilitation um, training is that you're not sure as to how that happens. That lack of certainty, that lack of um, proficiency to say, well, I'm doing this with the understanding of having a change to another area of the body is lost. And I think that then affects our ability to communicate, uh, whether it be to other professionals, to our patients, to members of the public. And that lack of communication also then hinders our progress as a profession. So I think one of the things that we want to do is get everyone on board with, uh, or as many people as we can, um, in improving their understanding and how the body and brain are connected. And the neurorehabilitation group or neurorehabilitation in general is about enhancing that understanding. So uh, I, I certainly, it, it, there is a difference and it really comes down to the, the training or, or um, understanding that you have, but also the clinical application that you apply. I like the word that you used there in terms of certainty. Um, I did the, excuse me, Carrick Neuro course, well, more than a decade ago now. And I think that was one thing it did for me. Um, firstly, it was a, a time in my, I guess, career where I was ready for a serious academic challenge because it's not just a, a couple of weekend seminars. It's pretty full on. Um, but it definitely gave me a sense of certainty when dealing with patients and quite often just, you know, the, the quality of my letters I might write uh, to other professionals and things like that improved immeasurably from that experience. Now, I've taken that uh, and I guess absorbed that into my practice, but I think from the, the whole, I would still call myself more a generalist than, than, than a specialist, certainly. Um, you're different. You've gone definitely down a more narrow and deeper approach. What does practice look like for you day to day? Yeah, look, it's um, my practice is uh, is very different from most others, and I guess I'll I'll get to that in a second. But I guess just in terms of sort of the the traditional courses that we've all taken, you and I have taken. I did my course in two thousand and four, two thousand and five. Um, I've retaken it 
some years later. I've taught it a number of times. So I, I think I feel fairly comfortable to say when you look at the cohort of people that take these in-depth courses, um, I guess obviously we have it for different reasons. And like you and me, I was at that stage of my life, I wanted something a little bit uh, more focused on the neuro aspect and, and how and why we see what we do in practice. Um, but I guess these in-depth courses aren't tailored for everyone. Um, they, they do uh, uh, attract a certain practitioner um, because it is so in-depth, it is so narrow-focused in that. And I guess most have a lot of troubles in applying what they've learned into practice to make it a, um, a worthwhile venture. Now, there's some of the more traditional uh, courses that people have done in the past. Nowadays, I think there's a shift to, uh, and there's a number on the market at the moment, there's a number of courses um, that aim to provide a more uh, bite-sized, uh, clinical applicable, um, relevant uh, understanding of how we can take a lot of the knowledge that's out there and there's so much out there and how to use it and translate it to, to apply in practice and not disturb your traditional chiro practice. Whether you want to continue doing your standard musculoskeletal practice, that's absolutely fine. But there's many tools out there nowadays and many courses that can upskill you in that. And I guess one of the roles that we're, we're aiming to have with ACE is to have a lot of these uh, stepping stone courses, a lot of these uh, ways that we can introduce these concepts to people that think, oh, no, neuro, that's too hard for me. That's mm -hmm. only for a certain group of people. But yeah. a lot of these stepping stone courses are there to break that that barrier. Go, oh wow, you know, you know what? I think this this there is something here for me. I don't want to invest two years in a heavy course that's going to take a lot of time away from my life and practice. But rather, let me just get my appetite wet with these things, and then from that, there'll be a number of people that go, you know what? This is it. This is exactly what I want. I'm going to go down this path. And, and now I'm going to take that bigger, bigger step. So I think nowadays we're, we have more options that we did in the past. Uh, and I think it's more user-friendly. Um, I know, there, as I said, there are many courses out there that aim to do that. And I would certainly encourage people to, to, to go into that and, and to explore it from that point of view. Um, I guess back to your question about, about practice. Um, my practice is, as I said, is very different. Um, and I don't for a moment think that, in fact, there are very few practices in Australia that would be similar to, to how we've set up. Um, we only see patients that are, I would say, neurologically compromised at whatever level you want to describe that as, or ones that are more complex. And they involve, as you mentioned initially, um, you know, the concussion, the whiplash, the post-stroke, some of the neuro neurodevelopmental and learning challenges. And our initial consults with the assistant of an occupational therapist that I have working with me, our initial consults are three hours long. Um, mm. 45 minutes are with me. Over two hours are with our occupational therapist doing a battery of brain function tests. And they include, you know, QEG, neurocognitive screening, vestibular, autonomic, brainstem integration, um, reaction time, uh, and a whole number of things. And then my job as the consultant, so to speak, is, is collecting that information along with the patient's history and then sitting down with them and discussing what the options are. 
And our treatments are, again, very different. Uh, we tend to have intensive programs where people may spend a week with us. They travel. We have 50% of patients that come from outside of Sydney to see us. So to make their time more valuable um, or to, to uh, you know, to make the most of their time in Sydney, we generally see them for a week. We would see them for three to four times a day. Each, each session is about 40, 40, 40 minutes per session. Uh, and most of that time is with our therapists doing rehab-based rehab, rehab practices. And I would see them collectively throughout that week, just ensuring that we, you know, we're reaching those milestones and targets that we set out. Uh, we're very much a looking at changes in brain function and markers of this function, and we've got objective measures to be able to do that. So, you know, that's not certainly not for everyone. No. <laughs> uh, but that's the way that I've set up. Well, it sounds fascinating and well done for sort of, I guess, taking it to that next level. But like you said, it's it's not the, it's a long way from the standard chiropractic practice. And I think it's very important, like you said, to have those bite-sized options because sometimes it's just a matter of deepening your understanding just a little bit, improving your assessment and, and I guess, management protocols and, and just simple things like that can make a big difference to day-to-day practice. So yeah. wh- wh- what do you think? I mean, I mean, I think we've probably answered this question already, but... Where do you think the um, the chiro neuro type of pro- approach can be really effective, or the neuro rehab approach can be really effective? What type of presentations are, are typically the ones where to know a lot about what the eyes are telling you and uh, what balance is all about, and those sort of things? What 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 are the classic kind of ones that you see, or that others that maybe just dabble a little bit in um, uh, neuro rehabilitation? What are the classic things that they would sort of see? Yeah, look, it's a great question. And again, one that I often have discussions with practitioners. Um, I would I would say just about every condition that uh, Cairo would see, whether they're um, sort of a more fundamental uh, practice or whether they're more specialised, whether it be paediatric or sports um, or elderly, there are many facets of their practice that neuro rehab could quite seamlessly integrate into. Uh, I guess probably the the best example of that would be chronic pain. I mean, pain is something that almost all practitioners see at one level or or another. And there's a lot of incredible research that's been out there for probably 10 to 20 years, uh, most of it outside of our profession, that looks at chronic pain as being very much a brain-based maladaptation type of condition. And, and we need to move away from the segment or the area of where we believe pain to be originating from, but more looking at how the brain is processing this, um, uh, this sense and where that, that this harmony is. And, you know, there's so many new ways to both assess and treat people with chronic pain from mirror box therapy to sensory discrimination techniques to proprioceptive training to pain education to cognitive behavior therapy. These are all things that um, can, again, seamlessly integrate into a standard musculoskeletal chiropractic practice, but one that we really need to be brought up to 21st century knowledge. Um, I guess some of the other areas, um, you know, even just recurrent joint sprains, you know, the athlete that has recurrent ankle or knee sprains or wrist or tennis elbow. Again, we straight away go in there and we tape and we massage and we adjust and we tense and we acupuncture. And again, don't get me wrong, they all have a place. But we're seeing more and more now, particularly with the chronic conditions, not the conditions that have just presented for the first time 
or traumatically. But those that are recurrent, we need to look at what's control in that area. And something that I often say to people um, is the brain can't control the body if it doesn't know where it is. And what I mean by that is, is that um, if, uh, again, apart from the more traumatic injuries, um, I'm confident that a lot of the injuries that we see or a lot of the presentations that we see in practice are from our brain having a poor understanding of where our body is relative to the environment. So a lot of the recurrent joint issues that we see are because of a proprioceptive issue or a body awareness issue or an ocular motor or a vestibular or a balance or a cerebellar issue because our body just doesn't know where it is or it may not know, not know where it is, but more so um, it may not be as sensitive or acutely aware. And so things like low back pain, um, poor posture, um, poor balance, even scoliosis, um, spinal dysfunction are all, to me, classical presentations that one needs to add to their armory of assessment and treatment how the brain is involved in these things. And I guess to take it a step further, we've got then conditions like um, dizziness conditions, headache and migraine, uh, dizziness, concussion, uh, learning, pediatric development. Again, all of these are rooted, in my opinion, in how the brain is interacting or engaging with the body and the environment. So in a long way to, to say, Anthony, it's uh, it's pretty much all conditions, I would say. There you go. Um, now, I think we're up to about mm, podcast 70. I've, this, this one might be. I think it was podcast three, four, and five a couple of wow. years ago uh, that uh, we had a chat about dizziness and we went into it in great depth. So I think podcast three was history, podcast four was assessment, podcast five was management. And for anyone who's interested in really getting into that, I would suggest they look at the um, the backlog of those uh, podcasts because that goes into the real deeper clinical stuff. Today, we're just, I guess doing a light brush over, but maybe um, with that uh, in mind, what are some of the you know simple things that chiropractors might start to learn going down a neuro rehab? And maybe, if, and I, this is unfair to, to the, the whole, uh, I guess, idea of neuro rehabilitation to, to simplify it ridiculously short, like I'm going to ask you to here, but maybe just give a, a couple of practical examples of things that chiropractors who know a little bit more about neuro rehab might do in practice as far as an assessment and how that might influence their, their management? Yeah, it's a great question. It's and probably the best example I could give, Anthony, would be someone with a cervical joint dysfunction, let's say from a whiplash injury or even text, uh, you know, someone who's got a text neck or poor posture uh, that relates to um, issues with the neck. As chiropractors, you know, we, we get straight into the neck. We motion palp, static palp. There might be some techniques that we use to identify the area in, uh, in question. Um, and we do a very good job at that. If you look at the research of the last 10 years, particularly those that relate to motor vehicle accidents and whiplash, you'll be aware that, um, that we can't simply look at the joint system when looking at a dysfunctional neck. We must consider, uh, including an assessment and hence treatment, um, looking at what, um, someone's balance and someone's gait. So doing a balance assessment and gait assessment are very helpful. And I'll explain the reasons why in just a moment. 
The other is the vestibular system and how the vestibular system inf um, is connected. Um, so, you know, doing uh, various head movement activities and seeing how that influences um, the, the, the spinal function. We have eye movements um, and we have autonomic function and body awareness. So, you know, looking at balance, gait, eye movements, vestibular, autonomic function can give you a lot of in understanding of how stable or unstable the neck is and the and potentially the reasons why people are coming in with recurrent, you know, C5, 6 joint dysfunction, for instance. Um, these areas are all connected generally by the brainstem area where a lot of the input from the neck uh, enters as well as input from things like areas like the jaw, cerebellum, vestibular, ocular motor and autonomic. And these integrative centers, let's call it a black box for the moment, but these integrative centers influence each other. So when we have a patient that comes in with chronic neck dysfunction and we've adjusted their neck you know, five, six times and it just hasn't stuck or, um, or they're still presenting with the similar symptoms, then it's really important that we then look at, okay, well, what's influencing this neck? What's influencing the stability of this neck? And these other areas are often the answers. And again, if you look at the literature, particularly that done by physiotherapists, Julia Trelevin and Gwendolyn Joel, you'll see a lot of the neuroscience and a lot of the research that supports the addition of these additional areas um, in managing people with chronic neck issues. So I would say the neck is probably the, one of the best examples that we can get in we can be exposed to clinical rehab, clinical neuro rehab, because there is a lot of good support to say there are areas that are connected and, and when you influence one, you have a greater chance of influencing another. Now, one thing that's interesting about neuro rehab is that there's um, potentially a lot of technology that you can um, <laughs> you can use to evaluate patients. And sometimes it's a bit like going down a rabbit hole and some of these machines are pretty damn expensive um and i think most of us that have been involved in it for a little while have probably spent money with it ah, you know maybe that 10 grand wasn't worth it or maybe that two grand was the best two grand you've ever spent um what are some of the i, I guess technology that you use in practice um that you find really valuable and what's some of the technology that's really simple easy and inexpensive that um you find valuable as well um i think having outcome measures is extraordinarily important. I think where we're moving with clinical practice and regulation, having markers or benchmarks of patient where they're at to start and obviously an indication of where they're heading and be able to benchmark that uh, with expectations is really important for practice and something that uh, the neuro rehab group are advocating and a lot of our white papers and our competency documents are including. So um, so I guess some of the things that you want to include, I mean, certainly as simple as even inventories, scales, and questionnaires, uh, the first thing that I'd be suggesting, they're free. Um, you can get them either automated on, on iPads or, or just the regular paper versions. So that to me is the, is the bare minimum. And a lot of them are very well validated and you can feel comfortable in doing that. Other things I would suggest, um, I think uh, balance is a, is a really important one. So having some measure of balance assessment, and you could look, 
you know, we've got $20,000 units in our office. In fact, I've probably got three of them in my office of different sorts. Um, but you can have like a Wii board that can configure into a balance pad. You can use um, uh, a phone block that you can qualitate, not quantitate, but you can qualitate how one's balance is given different sensory challenges. There are apps now on the on phone that measure um, sway and movement because there are gyroscopes and inertial sensors embedded in your phones and devices now. So you can have these attached to your body and as you sway, the device measures your sway or the patient's sway and gives you a readout. So for a couple of bucks, you can get these done quite easily. And I'd say apps nowadays, there's a lot of gamified and appified. I think I've just made that word up. Um, 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 applications that you could use that are relatively inexpensive um, that, again, quantitate in some, to some degree with some accuracy. Um, now, they may not be certified and, and standardized and, uh, and laboratory grade, but again, for the average Cairo that wants to get into this, this is a low-tech device. The other things I would suggest um, essential would be a pulse oximeter, knowing a patient's uh, threshold to stimulation is really important when to, when to stop at a certain level or, or when to continue is really important. And a pulse oximeter uh, gives you that. I think um, an algometer, a way to measure a patient's um, pain tolerance is really important, not just on the area, but on distant areas. And algometers can be relatively inexpensive. Um, I'm a big advocate of feedback um, devices. Um, so we would use sort of the um, uh, joint position lasers with some charts so people can understand what their proprioceptive um, accuracy is. And you can use that for training. Again, a relatively inexpensive device. Um, there are, I would say there are many apps that you could use, really some low-tech um, devices. There are apps now that even look at reaction time. Um, that can measure reaction time, that can look at some cognitive um, testing, that can give you a screen of concentration and focus. Um, so there are many things that you really don't have to dig too deep in your pocket to be able to um, find suitable applications. And I think the NOI group, NOI, the Neuro Orthopedic Institute, a great um, institute that's run by um, uh, a number of researchers, in pain medicine and pain education that one can use very inexpensive, uh, little dollars um, and are very well validated. So that's the things that I would say most chiropractors can use. Um, if you really want to dig deep into, um, you know, infrared goggles and um, balance assessments and hyperbaric chambers and cryotherapy and um, all sorts of things, you know, reach out to me. I'd be happy to you know, bore you for an hour and telling you the the benefits and drawbacks of um, spending $150,000 or $200,000 on in equipment in a clinic. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, you could, you could probably sell them some of your old equipment too, Carlo, couldn't you? I probably could. <laughs> I've got multiples of, of many, so reach out to me if you, if you like. Um, one, one of the great advantages of ACE, of course, is the opportunity for recognized credentialing. So just to remind listeners, um, there's three, four different levels of membership, the student, obviously for students, 
the standard member. So someone who wants to be involved, uh, get some of the benefits, you know, sp spend more time with people who are in the field, learn um, this sort of information without necessarily going to that extended level of the titled member or indeed the level up from that, um, which is the fellow. And obviously the fellow and the titled member are where you can put those credentials on your business card and website and so forth, um, uh, showing quite clearly um, the levels that you've gone to to develop a, an expertise in a particular area of specialty. One of the things that I like about this, Carlo, is that um, I think it's a, a sign of a maturing profession when we when we give uh, chiropractors the opportunities to really focus and specialize in certain areas. And people will recognize that we can't be everything to everyone all the time. And developing that kind of a research, uh, that um, referral type culture and understanding your type of practice, I wouldn't imagine that a lot of people just knock up on your door and say, you know, um, I, I, is this a chiropractor? I, I think I might like to see you guys. I'd imagine a lot of your patients, for example, would come from referrals from other chiropractors or indeed other health professionals. Yeah, look, I, I think that's correct. I mean, ACE, I think in its concept and how it's developing is incredible. And I think we should all be very thankful for ACA in, in, in investing the energies and resources to setting this up because I think as a profession, it's exactly where we need to be heading. Uh, we could see similarities in other professions and, and the path that they're taking and I think the maturity that they're developing. And I think this is a great sign. It's, it may step on a few toes, but I think we, we certainly need to do this um, for, the, for the benefit of the, of the profession. I think when it comes to referrals, um, um, those that, that come to me and I think to other um, recognised leaders out there or, or those that um, have set themselves up accordingly, really um, it's because of the recognised credentials they have um, and, uh, you know, the level of competency, um, you know, I guess all the expertise that one has in that area. And that certainly doesn't happen overnight. Um, training and recognition is essential to position yourself as the go-to person um, to help people uh, with that either type of condition or, you know, you know, to be able to manage that cohort of patients. And I've certainly narrowed that down to what I feel I do best in. Um, and, and I think every stream or every area of, of practice should have these, these areas. And obviously ACE is supplying that. So the benefit of what ACE is doing, I think, is helping identify those that have met a standard for others to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to refer to you. You've reached a level of competency whether it be a member um, or, a, or obviously a fellow level would be one that people should be aspiring to. Obviously, it may not appeal to everyone. And I think I love that stepping stone um, um, aspect to it that, you know, neuro is where I want to be going, but at the moment investing a lot of time and energy to get to that fellowship, which it is challenging and, and as it should be. And there's a lot of steps that one needs to get to be able to be labelled or be credentialed as a fellow. But I think once you see that fellowship status uh, attached to someone's name, I think it's important that you know as, as, a, as a practitioner or even as a public person to say, you know what, this person has reached a level of competency um, that um, I feel comfortable to refer a patient with this particular condition or symptoms to them to manage. And I think that's an important very mature um, way to to develop a healthcare system, and we see that with 
you know, both al other allied and medical streams. And I think it's important that chiropractors do the same. So maybe in summing up, Carlo, what would you say to chiropractors out there who might be interested in extending themselves in the neuro rehab area? I mean, firstly, join the, um, the ACE, uh, whether it be as a member, certainly all students, uh, I think should be getting involved in this. You know, it's, it's you know, wet, your, wet that appetite and know which field gravitates best to you. But certainly everyone should be a member. It's a low cost investment. There are members benefits that outweigh that, that low dollar input. And, and hopefully from that, we then go, you know, hopefully patient, uh, practitioners if, as a member see value and see interest in this group and then want to then develop further um, interest in it and, and, and work up that, um, that competency level. Connect with others. Um, with experience and, and one of the things that fellowship status and, and other levels will have is a mentorship whereby you can connect with uh, people with experience maybe spend some time with them have a phone call <clears throat> we're developing in our group various ways in which that mentorship can can develop obviously attend courses that are suitable at your level uh, and relevant to your clinic you know, if you have an interest with dizziness, for instance, or if you have an interest with sporting injuries, if you have an interest with scoliosis, there are courses out there that will uh, appeal to you. And I would say, you know, attend some of those. You know, there's a lot of virtual and online courses nowadays or when, when the opportunity presents, get in person, rub shoulders with people that are, that are at different levels and, and see if there is a connection there for yourself personally but also professionally as well. And of course, one of those courses will be yours. I think you're um, presenting an ACA uh, course a little bit later in the year. Maybe you'd like to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we'll, um, details will be coming out soon, but I'll be heading up to Darwin in June. Uh, the weekends, I believe, is the 24th, 25th of June. Um, uh, will be, the course will be on um, neuro rehab applications for scoliosis. So it'll be very much a... Um, it'll be about 10 hours of coursework aimed at chiropractors to have a better understanding of a lot of the neuro rehab applications as it relates to spinal function with um, a highlight on scoliosis. Uh, and we're, we're talking with various um, uh, regional crews um, on presenting this in different um, regions, probably uh, early next year. So keep an eye out for those. But uh, I'm looking forward to working with ACA in, um, in presenting to members. And Darwin sounds like a good place to be in June. It's starting to get cold here in Melbourne, and I, it's probably the case for uh, many other of our, our southern cities. Uh, Carlo, it thank you so much. It wasn't by accident. It, it wasn't by accident, me. right, yes. It wasn't yes. by accident, yeah. believe me. <laughs> <laughs> um, fantastic, Carlo. Thank you so much for your time today. It's always a pleasure to chat. In fact, I think you now hold the record for the most ACA podcasts in four, So, um, oh, wow. and all of them <laughs> have been fantastic. We really, I really appreciate uh, you know, your depth of knowledge and the way that you present it makes it uh, clear and, and easy to understand uh, for us mere mortals. So um, appreciate that, mate. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Uh, well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence. And I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast. <music>